up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. This episode is sponsored by Curve Dental Software. At the American Association of Dental Office Management's annual conference, I've had the pleasure of hosting two different panel discussions on behalf of Curve Dental, and they were titled, Managers, What Would You Do? I had put together a group of managers and or consultants, and they were able to answer a bunch of questions that I had for them, but also audience questions. The sessions were a hit, and next year is already being put into place. And by next year, I mean this year, 2023. I have worked with Curve for a while, and when they mentioned sponsoring the podcast, I thought, sure, why not? Let's give this a shot. I do appreciate their love of office managers and the value that we bring to the table. So check out the show notes for a link to curvedental.com slash Duncan to check out the software with a few incentives tossed in. Full disclosure, they are sponsoring the podcast episodes, but I will not receive any kickbacks for your demos or your signups. I just want to bring you information in case you are looking for a change. And Curve Dental has just been a really good thing for a lot of people that I've talked to. So I will pop back in later with more information. For now, on to the show. And we are back for another edition of Nobody Told Me That. I'm super, super excited. I have like legit really good friends with me today and I love talking with them. And of course, when I needed to come up with panelists for this, for this episode on locations, and we're talking location, location, locations, I had to think of the two people that I know are very good with advising offices and guiding their practices and offices through change. So I have Malika Azagoon with me. Malika, say hello. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited to be here today. Thank you, Teresa. Uh, you're welcome. I'm loving having you here. Jennifer Stedman, how are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for, for having us on today, Teresa. Well, I am just going to jump right into it because you two are like severely qualified, which is why I reached out to you. So um, Jennifer, let's start with you. What what makes you qualified to be on today's podcast? Yeah, sure. My career in dentistry started as a dental assistant, and then I became a dental hygienist. And from there, uh, I was practice manager um, at two locations, and then we grew. So we flipped practices, right? Kind of double production collection, flipped it. Uh, and then we joined um, private equity and a, a local DSO. Lots of different tuck-ins and affiliations in that process and vetting to make sure that it was the right practice for us. Uh, and I was there for 13 years and, you know, 17 practices and over 117 members later, uh, here I am. So, <laughs> Wow. 170 team members just gives me a headache like immediately. So <laughs> Malika, what's your street cred? So yeah, me in dentistry for crazy enough, it sounds 24 years now. Started as a dental assistant, ended up managing a big practice in downtown DC that did almost $7 million a year, which was crazy back then. But I learned so much from that practice. And then, you know, I kind of ventured off on my own and started helping. You know, my goal was to get as many practices as I can in the beginning and get exposure. 
really learn their ins and outs. And from there, you know, from I had a client actually that's currently on practice number 13, and I joined him when he at one location. His goal is to get to 25, which is really exciting. But really through that journey, I learned so much of like location, you know, where do I add the location? How many employees do I need? You know, you know, all the, you know, bells and whistles that comes with that. I'm also an advisor right now on two DSO, um, one that has 48 locations. Now the one is over 70 locations and the leadership. So I get to really guide them as they're acquiring practices and seeing what do they need? Is that, you know, is that going to be enough for them in the sense of staffing, patient flow, insurances? So it's a, it's a fun, fun place to be, to see it all happen. A lot of moving parts yeah. that you all have to deal with. Um, so today's focus is on location and I'm guessing many of your acquisitions or transitions were opportunistic, like they came up, people were looking for sale. Were there any instances when you targeted a, a location or a city and you said, we need to have we need to have a presence in that city? Is that how you see DSOs growing or is it more opportunistic, the ones you've been working with? Is it more opportunistic? Here's a practice for sale. Let's see if it works. I mean, I'll try a little bit. I think it's a mix of both from my from my lens. Some of them are just willing to just like a, one of the ones that I'm working with wanted to move into the DC area, and that's how I met them because they were acquiring one of my clients' practices, and it was the first one in this area. So they were just willing to take the risk, and you know, with these DSLs, they needed a doctor in the area that was willing to then manage the multiple locations in the city that they were purchasing the first practice in. So it was like they were taking the risk. They they saw that there was a potential based on their, you know, analytical studies they had done with their team. And then from there, they went from one and they're now number 20 in that area. So they were willing to try with one, but, you know, then it, it went well. And then they started just adding more. Does all of them end up being successful? It's a hit and miss to be really honest with you. But what I've seen, I mean, I'm sure you can add more to that, but, um, but definitely I think it, it's a mix of both options. So before we move to Jennifer, let me just circle back to that real quick, Malika, because you said the person, the office wanted to be in the DC area and now they're busy in that area. What was it about DC? Is it nostalgia? Did they grow up there? Like why, why DC? Very good question. Actually, I asked that question when I first met the CEO of that company. He said, well, you guys are in the bubble. And I said, the bubble, he said, well, the bubble where all the government employees are, you know, you guys are recession-proof, so it's worth the risk. Interesting. So what Malika is talking about is absolutely correct. Being in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area, when the economy goes south, other places, we really don't feel it until, I mean, unless it's a prolonged economic issue. Right. The government is a machine that just keeps giving. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. Um, I get that. All right, Jennifer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with Malika. It is a, it's a little bit of both, Right. You also have to get a pulse of your team and of the potential associates that you have coming on board and where they want to work, right? Uh, so if you have people that want to join your team, but you don't necessarily have a place for them, right? Or you don't have um, a location as to what would be ideal for them, then you want to go where you can get good team members that are qualified team members. So sometimes that is a huge part of it too. So I know... Um, for us, it was, you know what? We have offices north of Boston. We have offices south of Boston, but we don't have anything in Boston, right? We didn't have anything in that Boston metro area. Um, and we said, okay, it's it's time. 
So looked into some, right? Just try to got an idea. But sometimes you have to reach out, right? You have to reach out to practices or if you know um, of dentists, right? Like through the network that may be looking in a few years just to talk about what that transition could look like for them. Because there is a lot of um, doctors out there that own the practice and they don't want to just walk away, right? They want to practice dentistry, but they don't want to have to do the management side of it. Right. So they're looking for someone that they can partner with and that they can work with. Um, but I think a huge part of that, though, too, is culture. So when you look at practices um, and when practices look at you to come on board, you want to make sure that it's a good match. Right. So you kind of try to get an idea and try to get a pulse of what that looks like, too. But it is a little bit of both. Right. You, you might work with someone, you know, that that helps you um, to find practices. But then sometimes you reach out through the networks that you have already. So being in a city, I would imagine the salaries are higher, urban center and all that. So Mm -hmm. what happens if you have employees, um, they want to move around and go to work in the city? Does that affect their pay? I mean, it's a small question. It doesn't really have to do with location, really. But Mm -hmm. like, what? how do you handle those conversations where it's like, well, I want to go in here. But the like the difference between a dental assistant in Virginia versus D.C., it's it's a lot. I'm sure Boston is the same way. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, and we've had have had team members that have said, okay, well, do does someone get paid more, right, when they're in the city? And it's a conversation that you have. Do they want to relocate? Because if we need someone in that practice and they're willing to relocate, why wouldn't we give them an opportunity if they're a great team member? So it's just it's a conversation. But yes, the salaries are there are different. It is difficult sometimes for team members to understand that too. If you have an ad out with a a salary on there, right? Or an hourly yeah. rate, and then they ask questions. But there is differences dependent on region and, and location, for sure. Malika, have you run into that with team members? Same, like, you know, like one of those DSOs has four locations in the city in D.C. And mm-hmm. like the hygienists are getting $10 more an hour in D.C. Wow. Huge difference. But then when the hygienist is, that is in Maryland is approaching and asking why are they getting more, the options on the table, the leadership team says, you're more than welcome to, you know, take a, pick up a day there. We'll pay you for that. But because of the logistics of getting into the city, parking, all that stuff that comes with it, you know, you just have to be understanding of that. So they're pretty transparent about it. But I think a lot of times that's um, said really well is they see the ad, they get very defensive and they're like, well, wh- why, why am I not getting paid that? It's that whole not understanding the the whole package and the whole deal. Right. So. If you were to go into an area, what is really attractive? The makeup of young families, employers, school districts. I mean, if you're looking at moving out a little bit, you know, maybe not from suburb to rural, but like suburb to suburb, obviously. So what is really attractive for you? Like what makes you say, okay, this is the this is going to be a good fit for us? So I'll I'll jump in on this one. So there is um. There's so many different things. I think, you know, one thing that I've always looked at is I'll pull up the U.S. Census, right, to Uh try to get an understanding of, you know, the median home rate, the population, right? Is there a lot of renters in the area, right? Is there a university or college that's around there, right? Just to understand a little bit of the demographics. I think there's a few things that sometimes um, we forget when we go into offices. Um, One is parking, right, or transportation, Uh right, like you were talking about. Um, does it cost to park there? Is there parking, right? Is there a dedicated lot? <clears throat> we had a practice before that the only parking was on street and we have a lot of snow in New England. So oh. 
Um, when <laughs> there was a snow emergency, there's no places for patients to park. So you had to close the office down, right? So there's different wow. things that come into play. But another huge thing is signage because you can have a great office, but if no one knows you're there, that's a problem. So it's not just what signage does a building have, but what's, you know, is there an opportunity for more signage, right? With your leasing agreement or things with the town that sometimes we forget about. But if people don't know that you're there, you're not going to get anybody, right? So those are like two big things that have come up right through trial and error. Sometimes we learn those things as we go. Those are two two really big ones in in my mind. Oh, interesting. Malika, any thoughts on that? To piggyback on Jennifer, I think it's really has to also do with specialty. Like, are you adding more specialty into your practice? Uh-huh. Like for me, from the pedo ortho lens, I'll say this is that I have general dentists that you know want me to help them add more specialists. And if you want pedo ortho, what are the schools close to you? You have a pediatrician yeah. in the building. I look at all of those. You know, daycare. All of that make a huge difference. Uh-huh. As Jennifer said, parking. Parking is huge. Like patients complain about that a lot. So you, like the building could be great, you know, location's great, but if there's no parking and patients can't find parking or they have to pay for parking or get validation clutch from you, all those logistics could turn a patient off. So if you're selling a practice, theoretically, the location, the parking lot could have an impact on your price. Like that, I think that's something that when you purchase a practice, you have to factor that in at the end goal when you decide to sell. So the signage thing is interesting. I'm just thinking about over to one little cute little town area by, by my house. You wouldn't know what any of the companies are unless you drove through there because they're not allowed to have big signs. Mm-hmm. So is that something that would kill a deal for you guys? Or do you say, okay, well, maybe we need to spend more money on marketing, like the money to make a sign is going to be less than the money to do multiple marketing campaigns. Is How much mm-hmm. does that factor into it to not be able to advertise to the driver coming going by? You know, through, through different processes, what I found is people need to know where you are. So especially if you're, you know, if it's a de novo, it's a, if it's a startup practice, like if you're trying to just find a location for a startup practice, people need to be able to know how to get into your building and where it is, Right. Maybe there's directional signs, right, to kind of point people if it's, you know, in the back part of a parking lot, right? There's so many different things that kind of go into play. Like, can people find you? And you could just have something on the door, right, depending if it's a storefront or something like that. But there are places, too, that they don't even allow a storefront sign, right? So really understanding what that looks like. It could be, you know, they could say you can't even put up like a vinyl decal in the window, or can you have one of like the trifold, like the tent signs out front to try to point people in? There's so many restrictions that you probably don't think about until you're in it. And then you are like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? People don't even know that we're here. Yeah. You know, I had an instance where there was a huge large sign on the building from another tenant. So you're thinking everything's good, right? You can get on there. And then you realize that the ta- the town itself has a restriction of how big the total size of the signage on the building can be. So it only gave you like this much, versus, you know, give you a small oh. portion versus because they had a massive one and they were there first, right? <laughs> it's a little odd when you have a massive sign and then there's nothing, right, for, for anybody else. So there's just things to kind of keep in mind as you go through because you're spending a lot of money and a lot of time on that. You want people to know where, 
at least how to get in if they have sure. an appointment. So. Gosh, that seems so trial and error. Like you said, like I would not, if I were purchasing a practice, say, okay, well, let's let's talk about signage. I just would assume that if the previous dentist had a sign, mm-hmm. then you'd be okay with that. But the previous dentist might have been leasing their signage space. Or like you said, yep. now you're a low man on the totem pole. So you get this tiny little like 10 point, you know, sign. That's interesting. That could that could really kill a practice, I think, or at least make it super difficult. Yes. So, Malika, have you ever seen a practice that set up shop and then said, we got to get out? This is not working. I had a couple, and it was Uh-oh. due to the fact that they didn't pay that attention to their lease. Oh, do tell. They didn't decide to get professional help. That's why I say, whenever I work with a client that's acquiring a practice or doing a startup or, you know, selling to a DSO is like, do you have your team in place? And by that, I mean, you know, your CPA, your attorney, you know, your broker is so crucial that I have a team. I mean, I can leave you know, lease contract, but honestly, I can't, I mean, not understand 50% of it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it really came back to the signage. They were invisible in that building and they had to move across the street, which was very costly. And wow. their lease was month to month at the current space they were at. Oh. And the rumor was that that building was going to get knocked down and condos were going to be built there. Oh. They acquired this great practice, great active patients, but then they had to spend hefty money now build out another space because their current, current space just couldn't sustain them. It wasn't going to work. And it was awful for them because, you know, you just get a new, you just buy a practice, you're a new owner, and then here you are now trying to figure out who's going to build my practice, can I afford it? You know, how many days do I have to shut down or can I just move over? Like it, all those logistics were very stressful for them. And it really came down to the fact that wow. their lease was eliminating them and they didn't realize that when they signed the lease. Uh-huh. That's interesting because we always have with sales and everything, we always have a lawyer take a look at everything. Shout out to our friend Natasha Gillis, who does a good job yes. with that. But as far as leases go, building leases, is that something that a transition lawyer or a sale lawyer would take a look at as well? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen a deal just go south because of the lease? I mean, not obviously this case, but yes. before it happened. All the time. All the time. Really? Mm-hmm. Throw me some reasons so we know what to look oh, for. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing um, the rent. rent. Yeah, rent. I mean month to month, like how long you can have the lease sign on for. Yeah. I just as a situation recently where the owner of the building was not allowing, it sounds crazy, but was not allowing for the buyer to have a kitchen area. They didn't want it. Wasn't allowing for it. No kitchen. Yeah. So basically, don't you couldn't have a microwave. You couldn't have it coffee. It, it was just, an, I mean, it, I've never seen anything like this. Wow. And it was a phenomenal practice. But then the day my client was like i'm gonna have 10 staff you know and the, the seller i just was okay with this whole time for whatever the reason was but the new buyer coming in in his young 30s my team needs to have a place to eat warm up their food and the deal went south two days before closing that is so ludicrous and the owner of the building no matter what the attorney did would not budge i wonder if there was a fire Maybe, like, you know, and the attorney really tried. The seller's attorney wanted this done too. Yeah. And he ended up getting a broker involved and it wouldn't work. He was afraid someone was going to burn popcorn. 
Yeah, probably. Or maybe he worked <laughs> with one of those people that that nukes their smelly food. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Jennifer, do you have any crazy stories? Like oh, that? gosh, there's quite a few. Um, <laughs> another big one is, OK, can the lease be transferred? No, no, no. Uh, okay, so what do you mean transferred? Like if you sell the practice? If you sell the practice, can the lease be transferred or can they sublet? I don't know. Okay. And sometimes, especially we're out of COVID. I hate that word, but we're out of COVID. But sometimes <laughs> landlords, you know, they gave some kind of like COVID relief, right? So they said, okay, you know what? Because you haven't brought all the way back up, we'll essentially like give you a little bit of a reduction in, in rent now and then you'll pay it off as the time goes on. Oh, and Lord. then when the new the new office comes in, the new owner comes in, they're like, well, that agreement was with the previous tenant and not with you. We don't have a lease with you, right? So there's so many things, but essentially have someone look over the lease, make sure you can transfer it, the new owner of the practice, and just keep an eye out for any oddities. There was another one that, so you talked about like validating parking. Well, the previous owner had a reduction in the validation price, but a new group that came in no, we, we don't have that with you. Wow. We got it with him, right? Or, 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 you know, so there's all these little things that sometimes aren't even in a lease, it, but it's something that's assumed, right? It's mm-hmm. an assumption because that's, okay, it'll continue. But you have to ask the questions of what other, you know, accommodations or what other, you know, differences do you have with the landlord or the space that you're in? And will those things continue, right, after the fact? Did that practice then? So the patients must have been like, wait, why is this costing me more, my parking? So did the practice have to make up for the difference? Some. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an unexpected cost. You don't think of that. Jeez. And that's, that's you know, the trial and error stuff, right, that we were talking yeah. about. Like, sometimes it's things that come up, but it's you learn from experience. And, you know, when you think you know everything, something else something else happens. <laughs> wow. Have you ever been in a situation where the offices you worked with, were they subletting? Have you ever been in that situation? Is there even another layer of watch your butt for subletting even? Yeah. They're both going, yeah. Like, I think <laughs> I think I stunned them. <laughs> yeah. And chime on this, but like, they have a vision, they have a business plan because they want to sublet or they want to bring a specialist in eventually uh-huh. because they want to bring perio in. They want to bring whatever the story is. And depending on what the lease says and the building has, maybe there's an agreement with another dentist in the building uh-huh. and cannot have another periodontist in the building. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm Dr. Duncan. I sign the lease and everything. And then when I bring in a specialist, uh-huh. I don't realize that there's a deal that the other specialist has exclusivity in the building. Mm-hmm. And so then I violated my lease. What happens? What happens to me? <laughs> you, you lose your space. You have oh, to yeah. relocate. Yeah. It even gets down to, you know what? The previous owner never did clear aligners, right? Never did uh-huh. clear aligners. There's an orthodontist in the building. The general dentist wants to do clear aligners. You can't. Get out. You can't. Wow. That's such a profit center. And you can't do it because... Of an exclusivity clause you weren't aware of. Because you didn't know. Wow. Yep. Okay, this is this is very upsetting, actually. We're <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh, jeez. Dr. Duncan is not happy. <laughs> I'm not happy. I might just stay in my basement, operate out of my basement. <laughs> Jennifer, have you seen a practice set up shop and then just go forget it? We got to go to a different location. 
Yeah. What was the story there? Was there haunting? Tell me the truth. There's, there's, (laughs) there's so many. And I think another, another big challenge is, and I don't know about, you know, in, in all, all different areas, but in New England, there's a lot of dental practices that are actually within homes. Right. So they may have an addition that's a dental practice off to the side with the house. Can't sell your house with the dental practice in it. (laughs) And um, you can't sell a dental practice that's inside a house. Really? Yeah. So there's lots of challenges there. So you have you have to move. Wow. And I've seen it go good and maybe not as good. If they're close in proximity, then you can you know, move some of the equipment maybe into a practice that you have already and kind of tuck it in, right? Bring the patients, if you have the space, to maybe build out a spot in your practice. Or it might just be that you have the space, but maybe you don't have the team members. So maybe those team members can come over. Uh-huh. But it's a lot of moving parts. Patients get confused. Sure. So really understanding what that looks like and who it will impact and do they know how to get there? And is there signage in the new space, right? There's so many different things, but usually for something like that, you you try to, if you can, to move it into a location if you have one uh-huh. close by, or maybe you find another location close by that you could do that and affiliate with that practice so you can tuck the other one into it. Because the cost, like Malik was saying, is it's astronomical to move an entire office into another space. So if you kind of have one that you can tuck it into, it's it's uh, you know more cost effective that way. Oh, I'm just thinking permits and all that kind of stuff, oh, yeah. just the building costs. And mm-hmm. I mean, just dealing with contractors once every 10 years was enough for us. Let's talk about that. You guys having to help with expansions. I know, Jennifer, you were more hands-on, boots on the ground. How much of your time as a manager, and then I know you were operations too, but like uh-huh. how much of your time is taken away from the actual running of the practice to managing the physical growth of the practices. Yeah. So I've done that, you know, when we had a few practices, right? Like three or four, we're building a practice, buying a practice and selling a practice all at the same time. And it was just me. Wow. And now to a larger scale, you know, when you're doing build outs or adding operatories or, you know, trying to find space for your growing inside your growing practice to have another chair, right? Um, Or more chairs. It is a extreme amount of time that is taken away (laughs) and at some point something's got to give is that you going i need help like i need assistance yes you know saying okay we we need to you know pause this or you know what's what's the main focus we need to focus on this to make sure that it goes smooth right as smooth as it can okay what we need to focus on this for right now maybe kind of put this thing you know off to the side for a little bit or just delegate, right? Find team members that can help to support you in that and that have extreme attention to detail, right? <laughs> and great communication just to make sure that everything goes. But it's honestly, it goes, you know, it could start at, you know, there's, we're not doing any construction, right? Nothing to at least 80% or more of your time, depending on uh, the process and, and where you're at. It's It's like you're a general contractor at the same time. Right. I was going to say at some point, it, this almost it's a full-time job. So at what point is it unreasonable to c- expect you to continue to do that? I mean, Malika, do they bring in like somebody specifically to handle the physical locations, the leasing, the lawyer coordination? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the size of the, I mean, like if we're talking about a DSO, it depends on the size of the, well, the bigger ones definitely have their own team that just deals with all this. Like, you know, my smaller multi-location practices, they just work with a 
let's just say builder that has their, their own PMP project manager on site, like they, they're all interior designer basics because they don't have the manpower or time to deal with it. It's almost like I'll pay a little bit more so that yeah. I don't have to strain my team, my leadership team or my operational manager because I know that it just takes a lot because a lot of them don't know in the beginning and they learn from uh-huh. experience. They think, oh, my manager can do that. My manager can deal with the contractors. And again, a lot of these contractors, like they need someone to hold their hand and push them <laughs> to get things done. Um, right. So it's like, okay, who's going to be on top of them every day? So paying a little bit more to someone that's built hundreds of dental practices is probably a better option than going to a contractor that maybe this is their second or third one, where you're going to try to save some money. But in the end, you end up paying it because you're paying your staff overtime, you're burning them mm-hmm. out, or uh-huh. we're lo- you're losing them because you're trying to save, I don't know, a couple of thousand dollars, honestly, is what it comes down to. Yeah, it's right. super stressful. I mean, I've seen a lot of managers that say, okay, this is not what I signed up yeah. for. And they push it back on the doctor and then things fall through the cracks because the doctors, they don't lighten their schedule. Do you notice that? Uh-huh. Until they, until maybe they're on their fourth or fifth or whenever. Right. And they're like, okay, right. maybe I need to pay more attention to this. Okay, so let's talk about the widening radius of the group. So if I'm expanding, I've expanded two or three locations keeping in mind that I have somebody that has now got to spend windshield time going and checking on these locations, that could probably be handled by one person up to a point. What? When do you decide, okay, I'm not driving around anymore, I need a regional manager? And then when do you decide, okay, one regional manager, I'm killing her or him, I need a second regional manager, then you start naming your regions. What's What's your criteria for expanding in that way? I'll say this, it also varies because I've seen a couple of scenarios. I also think it depends on that manager because I've kind of like in the back, like you know, from the outside lens looking in, I see that like I have one office right now, the regional manager's managing nine locations. Wow. But she has a great manager in every location that reports to her. She's a super type A, organized, has a down to the T, where then I have another group where after the third one, they had to get a second regional manager. She could, nothing against her. She's wonderful, but that she, her, that just her style of management was that she wanted to be more hands on. Because she wanted to be more hands on, she would only manage three locations. Gotcha. And honestly, not to get into too much details of this, but I think also depends on what are the tools in the toolbox that are given to these managers software, their phone systems. Can they check stuff on their phone? Can they log in remotely to the software? All of those things make it, it's about efficiency. So if they're efficient and they're not dealing with three different softwares in nine locations, they're going to be more efficient. Because, you know, when they acquire practice, a lot of them, I'm sure Jennifer knows this very well too, is that they'll have a bunch of other software there. And then they're not going to have to train people to hop between locations. And the staff like, I don't know how to use that software. But then when they have one software that they can all log into, it's efficiency there. So then they can manage more than three, four locations. Yes. And I'm guessing at this point, dashboards really make a difference too. Oh, yeah. Because you don't want to spend your time running report after report after report. Like that's such a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't have the same software, then you need to have a dashboard that I guess thinks with all of them. Yeah. Right. My goodness. Like that's just, that sounds like a pain. Yeah. And when you have that software, you need to make sure because every practice management system is different that you're comparing apples to apples 
because uh-huh. what is one thing in one software, it means something completely different in another, right? Absolutely. So, you know, there's so many. And I think you're exactly right. Every Everyone is different. There's no magic number. Okay. I think the biggest thing is you need very strong practice managers because the challenge is, and especially now we all know that finding good team members is challenging right now. Sure. And everyone's having challenges there. And what happens is, is a regional manager may not have a home, right, per se. They don't have an office, so they jump around between them. And what happens is, is they end up filling in. So then they're working in the business instead of on the business. Oh, I see. So then they get tied down because they're trying to help because that's what they know that that practice may need for that day. But then if they have eight practices, or I think you had said like, if they have eight practices, well, then what's happening to the other seven while they're in that one? And then they're behind because they're, it can be a vicious cycle, right? Um, but having strong practice managers that have those tools and resources so they can troubleshoot things on their own and really run that business and then have the support of a regional manager is really, you know, the key there. But having a dashboard to look at everything in one place sure. and compare them is hugely ideal. And I think I know I'm going to have a little bit of a squirrel moment here. <laughs> but when you're looking at practices too to a, to potentially affiliate with, a lot of, you know, those, the different softwares that are out there, if you're utilizing them, they can give you a tool to put into that system so you can pull that data and look at it and compare it apples to apples, how your settings are and your system to understand what it looks like. And okay, what about hygiene? Let's look at clinical, average daily, like there's so many different things. So be able to pull that out and understand what that looks like in comparison to your other locations is a huge, huge benefit. So, sorry, I digress. We got into software and I got all excited. (laughs) No, no, this is one thing that I have been told by uh, doctors who are at that four to five to six spot is that they're really annoyed that they have to spend a lot of money on a manager who's in her car most of the time. Uh So basically they're saying I'm spending all my time and they're just driving back and forth and most of their time's on the road. I'm not getting like there's no way she's really running this business. Then, you know, you hear from doctors who say, well, I don't go on the road at all. They don't go on the road at all. It's completely remote management of the offices. Is it evolving? Like, is windshield time the way to go? And now we're moving to Zoom management. Is it evolving or do you see that that's still a hiccup? I think for a regional manager, you still need to be boots on the ground at times. Okay. I think it's a hybrid because when you do go into practices, like I was kind of talking about, like when you work in instead of on the business... Again, something has to give, right? So you're focusing your energy on what's right in front of you, but there's still other stuff going on in the background that you're responsible for. So having, you know, office time where you can sit and work on projects or, you know, help other practices is really important and you can't forget about that. I used to say, I'm like, I feel like I need to hire a chauffeur or something so I could work <laughs> while I'm, right? Like while I'm commuting because it's, it's a lot of time, right? Yeah. Versus... You know, instead of leaving your house at 5 a.m. to get to an office that's two hours away, I'd rather sit at my desk at 5 a.m. and get two hours of work in before anyone even gets to the office, right? So oh, for sure. There's so much that goes into that. But I think it, I think you really need a hybrid because you still want to be visible and okay. be there with the team, but you still have to be able to get, you know, some of the responsibilities that, that are only you can do done as a regional manager. 
just popping in here to quickly discuss how an all-in-one software can help you when you're changing a location or expanding into new areas. With the need to monitor practice health more robustly and consistently, you're going to want a program that can save clicks and centralize your info. Dashboards are great for this. I hope this episode highlights how much easier it is to work off of one data set. Multiple PMSs introduce a need for a centralized dashboard, which is one more expense multiplied by location and complexity. I like to keep things simple. Having patient information and patient communications in one database like Curve makes it really easy to schedule appointments across different locations and providers. Your scheduling team needs to stay current with no server lag times and sync schedules. Those really get in the way sometimes. The user-friendly interface will expand your hiring pool because any team member will be able to use Curve regardless of their practice management experience or the proximity to the office. Good news for some of your employees who like to work from home a few days a week now. Back to the dashboard though. I love data. I love revenue. I really love trackable revenue data. I know it's a shock for you. Curve's deep level reporting in their dashboards track KPIs, that's key performance indicators, by individual location and provider, or however you would like to set it up. Managers and leaders gain the insights to address the three drivers of business growth, patient flow, diagnose treatment, and treatment planning. It's all about having the tools and the talent. We can work together on the talent. Let Curve help you with the tools. Check out curvedental.com slash Duncan for a demo and pricing specifically for Nobody Told Me That listeners. Once again, you should know that although they sponsor the podcast and I so appreciate them for that, I will not be receiving any kickbacks or any payments for any signups. I just want to bring good information to you as usual. So please visit curvedental.com slash Duncan to get more information on Curve Dental. And thank you to Curve Dental for believing in managers and practice leaders and sponsoring the podcast. And now back to the show. You are looking at a location that's a little bit further out and maybe not as populated. How much do you consider not staffing it fully or do you consider only being open a couple days a week? I, I mean, I'll chime in a little bit on this. I think I've seen it happen both ways. I've seen it go really well because my client was like, you know what? I want to sell a location closer to my home so that I can have my patients that, you know, know in the community, in my church, you know, my kids school, I can see them because, you know, I feel like I have a pool for that. It goes well. And then I have clients that will say, you know, I need to sell a location because I'm growing here and I think I can do the same thing in this location. But then they're having a hard time staffing it or making their time to get there and take care of it because it's too far away from their locus. So the staff don't want to commute to it. Original practice is so profitable and doing so great that all the love and energy is really given to that practice. And it's almost like they forget about that satellite location. It's like a tug of war there. It's like, they thought it was a great idea, but when they got to it, it's not profitable because it's like they can't, they don't have the time or the manpower or their staff is like, well, we don't want to go there. And especially right now with the whole staffing situation, I personally don't encourage it unless you're going to get a second location to fully staff and grow it. But I think just to have it there for one or two days a week, I have not seen it be very successful just from my lens. I agree there. And I think regardless of how many days it's open, if it's way off, you know, the beaten path, we'll say, you know, in comparison to 
the area where the other locations are, it becomes extremely challenging. I know that firsthand. (laughs) I was the director of operations when we had, it was the third location. So we only had two and then this one. So it was smaller, right? But it was so far off that if someone called out, I'm like, what do I do? I have team members over here that are willing to go, but not that far. So I'd meet them, you know, early in the morning in a parking lot somewhere and I would be the chauffeur. I'm like, okay, let's, you know, drive the hygienist out (laughs) out over here so they can see the patients and work there for the day and go back. But it got to the point that, you know, sometimes you're, you're stretched. It's too much. So either you have to find a really good regional manager or not regional manager, practice manager that can support that practice and can, can do it. So that way you, you know, you can be semi-virtual for that one a little bit more. Um, but you need to see, you know, the team that you have and do they have the capacity and the time? Because it's a lot of windshield time, like you were saying, Teresa. So you want to make sure that you're not going to stretch your team too far either. And for me, we ended up, we were at that practice for two years and we double production collection and then sold it because I couldn't get there as much as what we needed to be there for that to grow even more. It was just, it was too much. I've heard you both mention during this podcast that you have certain people that you go to, or there's a team member that does this, or there's an expert that comes in and does this job. How do you put together a team? Do you build it organically from people that you know, or are there services that you would prefer to use to kind of cut down the learning curve? How do you come up with this team that you work with? So I had a team that I created, I called it my affiliations team, and we'd go in and do due diligence on practices. So um, I'd have a template, right, like report that we would start up with, or I would pull the census data, kind of look at signage, you know, look over some of those things that we chatted about. Um, But then I had, you know, someone from either within our team or our IT company, right, to come out and look at the computers, because that's another huge expense that can come up. Um, you know, how is the network? Do you need a new server? You know, because especially we were talking about um, like practice management systems, if you want to switch. So say you're, you know, the practices that you have now are on EagleSoft, but maybe this one is on Dentric. So it can be, you know, an expense $30,000 right off the top if you're not prepared for that. So you have IT, you have, honestly, I love to have a team member and usually it's someone that is in a leadership or manager position, but also has a clinical background, ideally, that can go in and can look at the operatories. They can look at what supplies they use. How is their equipment, right? Like take photos of everything. Um, And then you have someone that maybe knows the practice management system and can look at reports. You're looking at a team, probably like five people, ideally, to get in there to help to do these things. Because Yes, you could probably do it with one or two, but it would be a massive time, you know, a massive amount of time in there versus if you have five, it could be like two hours. But it's a lot because you want to look at the clinical things and what does their schedule look like? Is there a specific member of the team that is going to deal with the transition issues and which team member stays, which team member goes? How does that all come into play? It depends on the practice that you're looking to affiliate with and that owner. If some of them have already spoken to their team and they know that this is the process and they know, right, if it's a doctor that has been saying that they're going to be retiring in a few years, you know, it depends on that communication. Done it both ways. But ideally, you know, you want to talk to, if you can, depending on 
you know, what they've communicated with their team, at least the practice manager and the owner doctor. But, you know, you have to look into their handbooks. There's so much, you know, so having a little checklist, I'm sure Malika has one of those too, you know, like to go through and ask, ask a lot of questions and take a lot of photos and um, what equipment is part of the affiliation and what isn't, if there is any. Oh, yeah. I mean, the due diligence from like Jennifer's is so crucial to making sure because, you know, you're, let's say, acquiring a practice that's going to join your team. I think there's so many moving parts that have to connect just right. A lot of times the dentists forget the clinical part, which Jennifer mentioned, like, is this chair functional? You know, does the cabochon even work? You know, is the, you know, is the nomad? Like, there's so many moving parts that have to be there. And like Jennifer said, there's a checklist that's followed and then discuss on the leadership team and, you know, who's staying on board, who's leaving, you know, do I need to get hygienists? Do I need to get a front desk? Is the office manager retiring? Cause they know the practice is being so, I mean, and then benefit wise, are they getting, they got an office that Warner was giving the, uh, the team four weeks of aid vacation. This company could not even justify that. Mm-hmm. How do you, retain the staff, keep them happy, but also break the news that you cannot give more than two weeks. So, but all of that information is important to know up front versus like going into the practice and say, guess what? We're just pulling the Band-Aid and doing all this stuff. Okay. And I, I'll say this again on the IT side. I think the most challenging part of I've seen is the IT part. Yeah. Because a lot of times these servers are old. You know, the, the computers are old. That's why I'm a big fan of if you're more than... Two, three locations, get on cloud. Even if you're mostly location and your staff are logging in remotely to every location to look at the schedule, not worth it. Too much time, too much money in, in IT to do that, to be honest with you. From my perspective of just being exposed to so many offices, have that plan in place. If you're going to go more than three locations, look into that cloud version up front so that you don't have to keep changing to your existing desktop version and then eventually go to cloud, which is going to even cost you more time shutdown and training and more time, you know, just the conversion cost. What about a situation where you think this is the best location possible? Uh, You've been eyeing this spot, maybe driving by it for a little bit, and all of a sudden it comes due and you just feel like you need to jump on it. I mean, I've heard this from people before where they're saying, oh my gosh, I've been waiting for this. I actually scouted that office before and it wasn't available. Uh, So, do you dive in and just kind of hope the chips are going to fall where they may? So this is what I'll say. Regardless of what it may appear, it's never that way. So um, I've been into practices where we've gone in and done due diligence and I get, you know, recommendations at the end and, you know, different ideas of cost of what that could look like. And you have to add in team training, right? You have to add in IT. You have to add in if there's equipment, if the chair doesn't work, right? Some of those things that we talked about. The other thing, though, too, is one, it's going to be more costly later on if you don't do due diligence. You're not prepared for it. Um, and if you want to move forward in, a, in my mind, a positive direction, right? You want to grow. You want to keep growing. It's going to be a, it can be a huge, you know, they'll say time suck, right, from your team, um, but it can also, you know, is it, is it just a land grab in that sense? Right. Location is in everything. I'm still pretty blown away by how important the signage is 
And I mean, it's intuitive, you think about it, but wow, uh, would you even consider a location that had zero signage? Or, you know, do you see incredible signage, maybe flashing lights, and that's that's the way to go? How critical is the signage? Oof. Um, I think from, from my, I'm just trying to think about the ones that I've been involved in, I think location in the sense of where it was located in, in demographically, the shopping center, if that was the vision of that dentist that wanted to open the shopping center and had the perfect signage, um, I think that really plays a big role in it. I think being hidden in, in a building, like a high-rise building, is challenging unless you have a niche and you're willing to spend a lot of money on marketing. I agree. Um, I think, you know, a location that is visible is is probably one of the best, but also that the team is visible. Because, so is the team out there in the community, right? Because yes, you're buying a practice, but you're buying what that practice is, not just the building that it's in. So, you know, are they visible out there too in the community? What are the, what are they doing? Because that's some of the things, you know, we talked a lot about like marketing money and, you know, spending, spending money there, but that's something that, um, there's not necessarily a dollar value on that, right? Maybe they have a really good reputation. So it's, I think that's another thing that makes a, a location a, a good location is what other things come with it. This has certainly been so enlightening. So I want to be able to have everybody contact you if they have any questions, if they'd like to engage your services. Um, I just would like to say that I'm super excited that I was able to trick Malika into coming onto my podcast. Uh, I had to tell her it was a panel discussion and she showed up. Uh, she also has another podcast that you all should check out. I'll link that in the show notes. But uh, Malika, how am I supposed to get these people over to you? They can email me. They're at Malika at or go to my website, zardanalcusa.com. has all our office information on there. All right. And Jen, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, everyone can get in touch with me at jen at jensos.com. Um, and I help with uh, practice transitions. So uh, I'm, I'm here if you need to call SOS. What's the SOS for? Is it like a real distress call? What's that for? Yeah. So SOS is Stedman Onboarding Solutions. So I created a company um, last year um, because I saw all of my my fellow practice managers that were struggling and having challenges and they would come for help. And I said, you know what? I have so many resources that I want to help others. So created my own little business so I can help. So Stedman Onboarding Solutions. Yep. This was so much fun. I want to thank both of you, Jen and Malika, for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Location is something that we just kind of assume gets settled because we look around and see where we want to end up. But as you can tell from just this past hour, there are so many factors that go into just deciding the location. So I hope it's been very helpful for all of you. And dear listeners, you know, I always appreciate that you spend your time with me. Thank you. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.